What's up everyone, thank you for tuning into Open Worlds. I'm Adrian and today I'm joined by Piara. In this episode we speak with Ian Lee who is an early stage investor and managing director of IDEO Colab Ventures, which is an early stage venture firm backed by IDEO. They focus on investing in blockchain and crypto startups. We talk about Ian's background, the current boom of NFTs and gaming experiences, how crypto is becoming more social, and his top tips for someone looking to launch a crypto startup. For each weekly Open Worlds episode, we will be releasing a limited edition NFT. To collect these, make sure you listen carefully for the secret password, which you can use to claim your very own digital collectible. You can find these instructions in the description or on our Twitter. Please remember to subscribe so you do not miss out on future episodes or any NFT drops. Thank you for joining. We hope you enjoy this episode. Open Worlds. Hi, Ian. Thank you so much for joining us on Open Worlds today. How has life been for the past few months? Uh, it's been hard, like for everyone else in the entire world. But that said, I'm, I'm very lucky, have been healthy, safe, and, and so have been able to just keep focused on doing, doing work and uh, excited to be here with you today. That's awesome. Would love to start with your background. Can you give us an overview? Yeah, I'll try and keep it short because it is it is a weird one. I um, started out um, studying fine art and in undergraduate, uh, I wanted to become an artist, um, actually an animator for Disney of all things. Uh, that was around the time that Pixar Studios, I'm dating myself here, um, came to the market and, and really disrupted, uh, you know, animation. Um, and so... I got fascinated in um, computer design. And so I, I switched into that field and also doubled in, in economics, um, which was were incredibly fascinating to me. And so I didn't really know what to do with the, the combination of those two um, areas of study. Uh, but I ended up focusing for a large part of my career in both the finance industry and investment banking, private equity, um, a little bit of venture capital uh, a long time ago. And as well as consulting. So I actually spent eight years as a management consultant in the areas of aerospace and automotive um, in Midwest United States, working with helicopter and car companies, trying to figure out how to optimize the manufacturing and, and supply chains uh, of those uh, businesses. And what um, I ended up realizing eight years in, took me a, a little while, was that I was working on the wrong problem. I, I discovered that um, trying to figure out how to make a helicopter in 600 days as opposed to 1,200 days was actually not the right thing to be working on. Um, the right thing to be working on was why was autonomous drones starting to disrupt the aviation and helicopter markets? And when I realized that I was working on the wrong problem, I became obsessed with that. I was like, why aren't I working on those things, those more important issues? And so that led me into this um, area of research academically about 10 years ago that's called the uh, disruptor, uh, the corporate innovation and, and innovators dilemma. Um, so I studied that for, for some time. Basically, why did great companies um, persistently fail over um, years and years? And why were small disruptors consistently being able to beat big companies um, over time. And that led me then into this world of venture. Um, and uh, 
in 2014, I was hired by Citigroup's venture capital arm uh, based in Palo Alto uh, to run their um, labs, accelerators, incubators, things like that. And when I first got to City Ventures, uh, one of the first things that I was tasked with was go look at this thing called Bitcoin. Um, no one really is, is looking at it uh, in a really intentional way. There seemed to be some interesting developer and engineer um, engineering talent that's, that's doing some stuff on it. Um, just go look at it. And so I, I read Satoshi's white paper um, within the first few weeks of getting there at Citigroup. And almost immediately, I saw in it an open fintech stack. And because I had been studying actually open software for like eight years prior to that, looking at platforms like Android and, and other things that were disrupting the software markets. And when I saw in that an open fintech stack, I said to myself, oh my God, this thing is way bigger than a digital currency. This is incredibly disruptive to the financial sector and probably much more than that. And so um, for the first like six months at Citigroup, I immediately started telling people, we need to look at this thing called Bitcoin and start investing in it. And for the first few months, uh, that was one of the fastest ways to get fired at a bank, to be honest. Uh, so I was I was constantly kind of, okay, that's that's weird. Like, stop talking about that. And then in kind of early to mid-2015, um, I distinctly remember actually when Goldman Sachs invested in, in Circle, that turned a lot of heads in the traditional financial industry. And then I was invited back into the meeting room saying, okay, actually that thing called Bitcoin that you've been researching, like, tell us more about it and what, what we should do about it. And uh, from that point forward, it became very interesting. I, I became the... Uh, I, I started... Um, leading uh, the crypto and blockchain activities at Citigroup uh, for the next three years. Uh, we were very active. We, by the time I had left, had invested in um, more than a half dozen blockchain startups. We had dozens and dozens of internal initiatives at the bank um, in this area, of which one of them I was the co-founder of, which was a, a, payment, a payments platform that um, actually got into market. Uh, after 18 months of working on that in um, early 2017. And I was involved in a lot of the um, big industry initiatives at the time in the financial services sector, which was patient zero of crypto back then, which was was very fascinating in terms of seeing some of the dynamics between startups and big banks, big banks to big banks, which were setting up permission networks, uh, governments and big banks. Uh, one of the things that I was uh, looking at, for example, back in 2014 was central bank digital currencies and how those things might be designed. Um, and and uh, there were lots of really interesting findings there, uh, which uh, is, is really interesting to see how um, CBDCs are now kind of coming back to life uh, around the world. Um, and I guess what, what where I'm at now is in 2015, so pretty early on, I realized that Citigroup and I didn't have all the answers. We, we couldn't possibly understand um, everything going on in this space because of the pace of change and, and how quickly things move. But also, we didn't have the, the capabilities or all the capabilities resident within um, our organization, even within our labs, uh, which were highly technical. I mean, we had we'd forked Bitcoin in 2013. Uh, we had built 
lots of different things um, during that time, including this thing called CityCoin, um, which uh, got us a little bit in trouble um, when when uh, you know regulators found out about that. Um, luckily, luckily it was fine. Um, but uh, so so because we couldn't possibly understand everything, I knew that we had to partner with the ecosystem. And so one of the things that I did back in 2015 was I met this team at IDEO, which I can tell you about in, in a bit, um, that was similarly trying to understand what the human-centered applications eventually of decentralized technologies, including cryptocurrencies and blockchains, would ultimately be in the world years from now. Um, back then in 2015. And I thought that that was the right way to approach things, um, not from uh, only a technology lens, but also from a human-centered one. And so I partnered with IDEO along with Fidelity, which uh, later on created Fidelity Digital Assets and a variety of other businesses, um, as well as my counterpart at NASDAQ. We launched the first version of the IDEO CoLab, which stands for Collaborative Lab, at Harvard and MIT in 2015. Um, we got some amazing research fellows uh, from the colleges around that area, including um, someone named uh, Jing, who ended up becoming the CEO of Optimism, which we've now invested in, uh, a layer two solution on Ethereum. And uh, back then, what we were trying to do was research by building applications on top of Bitcoin, where this was going to show up in the world. And I remember back then people telling us, that's dumb. Like, why are you concerned with dApps, basically? I mean, that wasn't the word back then. There was no word for that back then. Why are you concerned with applications? Like, you should just be thinking about consensus models and the tech and the, the deep R&D. And that's true. Um, we said, you know, sure, like for now. But as IDEO has been involved in the development and mainstreaming of many technologies, including personal computing, AI, um, digital health, all you know, uh, autonomous vehicles, all of these things over the last 40 years. What we've realized is that at the end of the day, the only thing that matters and creates sustainable value is, is what makes an impact in the, in the real world with end users, whether that's people, businesses, or society. And that's what really matters, whether you're building a DAP or you're building a layer one platform that needs DAPs that create value in the world. And so um, it's taken a, a while for the crypto world to get to that point, but I believe that we're already there. Um, you know, more and more teams are coming to us, whether it's layer ones, layer twos, DAPs themselves, um, having us uh, work with them on. Uh, how to build product, how to identify who their users, users are and what they need, how to get to market, how to get customers, how to get traction, how to develop their platform over time, how to decentralize it over time. Um, these are all of the things that we have been working on for the last five years. And about two years ago, um, from the encouragement actually of a lot of founders in the crypto space, we decided to spin out a venture capital fund, which we started in early 2018 and have now been investing in uh, leading blockchain founders, including you know, Jing from Optimism, but uh, over 30 others at this point um, to both invest in their development. Um, but more importantly, um, because IDEO is a very make kind of design, build centric 
you know, we have a lot of engineers as well, organization. After we invest in every company, we help incubate them uh, with design, product, go to market, customer acquisition, user research, all that stuff. And so that's that's what we're here to do is help this ecosystem grow and realize its full potential. And um, the way that we do that is by teaming with leading startups and helping them build things that matter and make an impact in the world. So it's been a lot of fun. And um, we've learned a ton from the founders that we're working with. And it's just, it's just so exciting. Like There's so many cool things happening right now, um, which I'm sure we'll talk about on this, on this call. I couldn't agree anymore, Ian. Thanks so much for that. You have a very interesting and impressive background. It sounds like the work you've been involved in at City previously and now at Idea Colab more recently has helped to catalyze a lot of the development experiments in the space. I see you're bridging the expertise that's very much needed. Just taking a step back, you have an interesting background in the sense that you started your journey in fine arts. And I'm just trying to connect the dots. How does someone who studied and has experience in that space go into venture capital and then into crypto? Was it helpful having that insight? <laughs> that is a, a life uh, question that honestly, I, I, I guess I'll just answer it this way, which is I, I was never one of those people who knew that they wanted to become something um, you know, for the rest of their life. Like whether it was a lawyer, a dentist, a doctor, an engineer, um, a venture capitalist, uh, a designer, an artist, or whatever. Um, and I was actually always really um, jealous of, of people that, that knew from day one that's what they wanted to be. Um, honestly, my life has just been this um, collection of random experiments <laughs> that don't have a lot tied together, um, tying it together other than this passion um, for doing what I love um, for the next two years. There, there's actually this really um, profound uh, uh, person um, that I've never met, but his name's Clayton Christensen. He, he unfortunately passed away uh, a few years ago. Um, he wrote The Innovator's Dilemma, this book um, quite some time ago about why companies continue to fail. That was uh, when, when, as I mentioned earlier, I was profoundly sort of like, um, searching for this, the answer to this question, like, why was I working on the wrong problems? And he wrote that book, which was honestly one of the best business books I've ever read and, and probably still to this day. But later in his life, he ended up writing this, this other book called How Will You Measure Your Life, which was actually after he had a, a stroke. He's, he's a professor at, a, he was a professor at Harvard Business School. And what he, he, the, the, one of the main kind of takeaways from that book was that Companies, organizations, and people often develop strategies and think of their lives or their company's lives in 10-year strategies. They develop this like 10-year plan and they try to execute on it perfectly. And what he was saying is that that's actually not the way, the right way or the best way to lead a company or lead your life. And what he said was, instead of doing it that way, what you should do is just do what you're most excited about and where your passions are for the next one to two to three years and just do that. And the reason, and what he called that was an emergent strategy. And the reason that he said an emergent strategy was the best strategy is because 
when you do what you are most passionate about and what you're most energized by, you're going to do a better job because you're going to put in more effort and work because it's not work to you. You just really like it and love it. And when you do that, you're going to do better. And when you do better, it's going to open up all these opportunities that you can't see in your current moment. And that's honestly the only thing that's connected all these random things that I've done over the last years. I started as an artist. I you know, quickly became interested in design. I couldn't get any jobs because no one would hire me at the time. So what I did was I started to go into advertising by designing ads for Toyota and Mercedes-Benz. And then I got exposed to that through marketing. And I was like, marketing is kind of interesting. There's like an analytical component. So I, I did that. And then I got exposed to financials when I was doing marketing media plan planning. I was like, finance is kind of interesting. And then I did finance. And then once I got into finance, um, I was like, whoa, uh, strategic decisions drive financial activity. Like, I want to learn about strategic decisions. So that's why I went into consulting. And then the rest is history. And, and honestly, I just the last thing I'll say is I never really wanted to nor want to become an investor. Like, that's not something I, I've ever aspired to be. But for me right now, and, and what I am trying to build, build here at IDEO with our team is a different type of investor that is actually a build-centric investor that is designer and builder first, where we partner with great founders and work with them. You know, When they're, it's, they're only a one or two or three-person team that's highly technical, we'll be their product and design team from day one and help them hire their first product and design lead You know, when, when the time is right. But we use investing as the means to go do what we actually love, which is building companies and building products. And I, I really love that now. And so I'll, I'll be doing this for at least the next two to three years. We'll see where that leads me next. But you know, I've been in crypto now for six years. So uh, I, I'm very passionate about this space. And I'll probably stay in it for as long as, as, long as I can. Well, for sure, crypto years definitely feel a lot longer than normal years, I feel, sometimes. As you know, IDEO is a world-renowned design company. How independent is uh, IDEO CoLab? And do you get any benefits being associated with IDEO? That's a great question, yeah. Um, so the way to mentally think about it is that, in, in some ways, IDEO is to MIT as IDEO CoLab is to MIT Media Lab. And the venture fund that we spun out legally, so it's a separate independent entity, um, called IDEO Collab Ventures, even though it leverages the entire stack um, that I just mentioned, is similar to what MIT has in, in their ecosystem, like the MIT Engine, or they have another thing called the E14 Fund, which are legally separate from MIT, but they're very much a part of the ecosystem, leverage the infrastructure and knowledge and insights and resources and all that stuff. So we are very similar. Um, we wanted to design... I wanted to design it that way with IDEO. Um, because when I was at City Ventures and in the corporate venture capital ecosystem, you know, we had learned that um, one of the best ways to design a lasting investing organization is to have it independent but connected to, you know, all of the resources and insights and expertise of um, the sponsoring company. And so that's what we did. Um, I, I actually led a research effort for about six months in 2017 to figure out what the optimal design and model and structure of our venture firm should be. And that led us to 
uh, what we are now, which is we spun out this venture capital fund. It's an independent entity, so we have complete autonomy. But we are backed by IDEO, as well as a range of um, external LPs. A majority of the capital actually doesn't come from IDEO. It comes from other large corporations in finance and technology. We have executives as well that have contributed from like Coinbase and Twitter and a bunch of other big financial institutions and technology companies. Um, but we are an independent entity. But the superpower that we have, because we're so connected to IDEO um, and linked to it, is that we can leverage all of the expertise, all of the insights, all of the resources, all of the networks of IDEO. And IDEO over the last 40 years, you know, starting from its early days, working with Steve Jobs and Apple in 1980 and all of these great companies, IDEO pretty much works with every company, you know, most of the Fortune 100 around the world on the most interesting, innovative, and strategic questions like what is the future of media? What is the future of finance? What is the future of mobility? What is the future of um, social networks and technology? And so we can tap into that, whether it's insights, expertise, both from an industry perspective or a discipline perspective, like design, product experts who have been around for you know, 20, 30 years. But also if blockchain companies or startups in our portfolio are trying to get to market and want partnerships on the ground with either consumers or big businesses, we can help do that. So we've actually helped numerous crypto startups uh, acquire enterprise customers, like Fortune 100 enterprise customers, which is really difficult, uh, but we've been able to do that. And also, like for example, a lot of these crypto companies, like in DeFi, are looking to um, expand access to finance around the world. And IDEO is a global company. So we have operations in India, Southeast Asia, Africa, you know, South America, you name it. With And we're working with people like the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation on financial inclusion that's not specific to crypto, but we can connect with all of these organizations and start to run pilots with uh, startups in the crypto space between these organizations on the ground. And so it's an amazing opportunity that we have. And honestly, like, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing anywhere else other than here. And, and so it's it's really exciting because I think we can, um, you know, it's going to take some time, but I think we we can serve as part of that authentic co-creation bridge between Web3 to Web2 and help Web3 realize its full potential by doing so. Completely agree. I love the positioning around how you act as a bridge with the traditional and the new world with future possibilities with these explorations and experiments. Going back to your interest in the space and technology, in your perspective, what's the most impactful use case and benefit from blockchain? Yeah, that is the uh, the timeless question that I mean, we were even looking at when we were at Citigroup. People were like, what is this thing actually for? <laughs> now, um, it's taken a long time to figure that out. I mean, you know, we, we came across um, uh, a pretty good um, understanding of that, I would say, at, at IDEO Colab. But it took more than two years for us to just build hundreds and hundreds of things um, and ship them into the world in this prototype capacity to really see the patterns and see what all of this stuff, all of this activity that we had been building, that other people had been building was ultimately laddering up to. And so um, we we have believed for some time, and this is where we've been investing in, likely where we continue to invest in, that blockchain crypto technologies 
which ultimately ladder up to these decentralizing and distributing technologies, um, are going to make an impact in three key areas. The first one is re-architecting the web um, and making it more distributed and decentralized. And there are a lot of reasons why that is a necessary thing and why that's a good thing, um, especially given all of the issues that we're currently living through right now with these large technology um, and primarily centralized platforms that have caused all these issues in the world um, that are far beyond crypto, far beyond finance, um, things related to privacy, things related to censorship, things related to even issues related to politics and information and uh, divide between you know different countries, different races, different people of, of different backgrounds. Like this is all connected. This is not a technology, in our opinion, that is in isolation. This is a part of the world, and it's connected to all of these issues in the world. And so, rearchitecting the internet and the base foundations of it is one of the the key areas. And um, that's where a lot of people, you know, call like um, you know things like Web three infrastructure and tools like custody and and this kind of stuff. We think that that's ultimately laddering up to that. And um, what that means at a high level is that. Any product, business, or service that is on the web potentially has the chance to be redesigned. Now, that doesn't mean everything will be redesigned with crypto networks or anything like that. But that means that a lot of things might be redesigned or some things could be reimagined. Um, and given that everything, especially as a result of COVID, is now an internet-based company or a digital company... That means everything in the world could be redesigned potentially with this thing. So re-architecting the web and the internet is the first category. The second major category, which is actually where more than 50% of our investments have been in, is what we call open financial systems, which is making the financial system more open, accessible, equitable, and free to everyone in the world. And coming from the traditional financial sector, I will tell you that the traditional financial system is not that way and likely won't be that way for a very, very long time. Even fintech companies today are not doing that, in my opinion, enough. I want to see that change in my lifetime. And traditional financial organizations and even fintechs are not doing that fast enough. And I believe that crypto is dramatically accelerating the rapid opening of access of the financial system. And that's why we're so passionate about that. And that's why we've been investing in decentralized finance, as an example, for about two years, right? Uh, two years at this point. And we are simultaneously incubating 10 DeFi startups at this moment um, uh, in all these different areas. And so it's, it's a big kind of um, area of passion for us. And there's a lot of applications um, to that. The third area and the last area is something that, in my opinion, not a lot of people have caught on to yet. And part of the reason is because this market is still very early. But in my opinion, aside from open finance, um, this is going to be the biggest area of impact in the world, which is changing how people work and play. And that is very broad and all-encompassing. But the types of things that are in that are... 
um, solutions, applications, and technologies that fundamentally change the way that people communicate, connect, coordinate, um, entertain, um, play with between themselves, um, uh, consume media, um, things like that. And so some of the application areas that that's going to result in are things like social media, social networks, social commerce, social finance, social gaming. Um, there's also this idea of cooperatives, um, which I'm really passionate about, which is um, changing the ownership model of software and technology um, to one that is uh, community owned by either its employees, users, or operators. And so this area is extremely exciting. And how it connects into all of this is we've got Web3 infrastructure that is now being built. We have DeFi infrastructure on top of that that is now being built and is starting to harden. And one of the things that we used to say, or I used to say when I was at Citigroup um, back then was, people don't care about finance, actually. Finance is not a product. Finance is an enabler to higher order human needs. And when you think about that in context of DeFi, DeFi is actually a higher order enabler or an enabler of higher order human needs. And so what I think is super exciting is now that we've got a lot of DeFi infrastructure, in the next one, two years, we're going to start to see applications that are not DeFi, but DeFi adjacent that leverage DeFi that start popping up that make huge impacts in the world and with people and with businesses in the areas of commerce, social networking, social media, gaming, all these other things in that third category that I mentioned. And we're, we've been you know, very, very active in that. Um, we've been you know, helping design DAOs. We've been um, diving headfirst into this area of personal and social tokens uh, for the last year and a half. Um, you know, social networks, um, all of these things it's incredibly, incredibly exciting. And I think people are underestimating how profound the impact of that area combined with DeFi would be. The password for this week's challenge is new vision. To claim your special limited edition NFT, visit openworlds.fm forward slash members. Follow the instructions for this week's challenge and follow our Twitter and Substack for announcements. There's so much to cover. We will definitely cover social and personal tokens shortly. But in your typical day, if you have one, there's obviously so much that goes on in the space, these new developments, founders, and activity. How do you keep up with everything that's going on? It's impossible. <laughs> so part of what you have to do is just accept the fact that you can't possibly learn everything um, all the time. It's just too hard. I mean, uh, maybe if I was one of those uh, savants that are on crypto Twitter that are just prolific and in and plugged into the matrix, if you will, um, I would be able to do that. And, and I, I do believe that there are some of those people. Um, but for most, for most of us human beings, uh, we can't do that. And, and so I, I accepted that a long time ago. I mean, uh, when I was at Citigroup, um, I, you know, as I mentioned, um, humbly realized very early on that we don't have the answers. I don't have the answers. And so the, the, so I accept that and, and op openly admit that. What what you what happens when when you accept that reality is is two things I think um, that has been really helpful for me. Number one is um, you you pick the areas that you really care about and and you focus on those. Um, and when you do that, 
Um, you actually learn more and you learn faster by by focusing on a particular area because it deepens your focus in that area, but it also um, helps you identify these interconnections and reveals these interconnections that you didn't realize before by going deep as opposed to going broad and skimming everything at the surface level. The second thing that accepting that you can't possibly understand everything um, enables you to do is to be collaborative and to find ways to collaborate with other people who know lots of things about all the areas that you're not focused on, and you get to learn from them and constantly be a student. And so it actually is a part of my and our organization DNA from day one. I mean, IDEO Collab stands for IDEO Collaborative Lab. And so our organization and every single one of us is um, in, got in our DNA this um, idea of collaboration and, and openness, which is very kind of um, authentic and native to the crypto ecosystem, which is about collaboration and sharing and, and you know um, helping helping each other, which I absolutely love and we love. Um, and so what that means actually like we believe it's it's more than just an intent. We have to actually um, live by this at every single level of what we do whether it's um, designing things and contributing that to the open source community as we have been over the last five years, like contributing um, a peer-to-peer messaging um, module to IPFS back in 2016. Um, you know, uh, one of our members built the first uh, user interface to the Grin network in late 2017, 2018. Um, and we've just been contributing like various kind of design and product frameworks to the Ethereum community and, and others. Um, for for a very long time, but also as it relates to even our core business of incubation and and investing, we do that collaboratively as well because we we acknowledge that number one, we can't possibly see all the best startups and founders and investments in the world. And so, what we love doing is co-investing with other you know world class investors in the crypto space and partnering up with them on deals because. Um, you know, those investments that they find are um, just as good and, and in some cases better than, than the things that we can find ourselves. And we love that. So we, we want to remain very collaborative with other investors globally in the ecosystem. And then once we invest and we start incubating the company, we help them in the areas that we know a ton about, like product, go-to-market, user research, um, you know, design, all that stuff. But we also don't have incubation capabilities in other areas that other people are super good at, like, for example, legal design or, um, you know, some other areas. And, and so what we do is we partner with other people when we incubate things as well. So we have partnerships with Cooley, Perkins Cooley, Fenwick, um, a bunch of top law firms. Um, we partner with Layer Ones like Ethereum and Near and Tezos and all of these others. Um, and we also partner with, um, you know, other great investors, like some of the ones that we love collaborating with are, you know, firms like, I mean, honestly, we collaborate with, with them all, but like Electric Capital, Delphi Digital, Variant, Nascent, um, Pantera, like, you know, the list goes on and on there. And so we, we truly want to be a part of this ecosystem, but not try to take it all. We, we really... Um, just want to be authentic contributors and value-added partners to everyone, not just founders, but also 
um, other investors in our space. So Ian, I'm curious to know more about how Idea Collab feels about onboarding people into crypto and how it should be done. I recently saw somewhere that your next big focus would be on the social side of crypto, including the stuff you mentioned like gaming, media and networks. So I'd love to hear if you feel that these areas will ultimately help onboard more users into crypto. Yeah, that's a great question. We, I mean, that's something that we've been focused on from the very beginning. Um, in fact, one of the, the most detailed insights around this came in 2017 when we started working very closely with Augur and Joseph, uh, sorry, Joey uh, Krug and, and his um, founding team um, in helping ship their uh, V1 um, on, the, on the mainnet and make, make their um, product live was we were helping them with their, their product experience. And, and that included everything from onboarding to the product UX to also even things like downstream, like um, how to resolve uh, the outcomes of um, you know, prediction markets and how to dispute those, which was a really big user experience challenge. And, and as part of that onboard, we, we, we found out from the you know, very front row seat, all of the challenges with onboarding. And, and back then, you know, Ethereum was very different. Like um, it was extremely uh, difficult to run a DAB. I mean, Augur was, was one of, if not the first um, on Ethereum. And, and so um, the, a lot of those, those things have been uh, improved or solved. But, you know, I think there, there's two, two things um, to take away from, that we've taken away from that. Number one is if, if users are going to come in through Web3, the onboarding experience um, to Web3 needs to be better. And I will say very happily that um, as far as web, native Web3 is concerned, um, onboarding has been, been um, improved tremendously, right? I mean, to go from fiat into a system like Uniswap to then move into Compound and then um, do something else on, on uh, you know, Aave or Maker or whatever, it's a lot simpler. Um, there are still many things that can be improved, um, but uh, you know it's it's not as great of a challenge as it, as it used to be. Um, there still, however, are lots of things uh, that are still missing, even in a web three context, um, like like context, actually. <laughs> like uh, you know it would be nice, for example, when I go from one DeFi app to another, that certain pieces of information about myself and my my history um, uh, without doxing myself um, might be able to travel to these these experiences or or applications or DeFi solutions and contextualize and personalize um, some of the things that I'm I'm interested in based on my history. So I, I still think that there's um, plenty of design opportunity in 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 Web three native. Um, to to go that that we can actually look to like traditional fintech to to um, continue to improve Web three, but there has been significant progress and and we've been a part of that. Um, an example for uh, for for, uh, for some of you is that um, a number of years ago we worked with a, a wallet um, uh, company on um, how to redesign the KYC experience in a way that was not super onerous and like a traditional bank which asks you to fill out like 50 forms before you can start using the app or accessing the product. And what we came up with years ago was this concept uh, that we called progressive KYC, where a user would be able to immediately enter certain parts of the app, the DeFi app, 
um, or the experience and be able to use it. But as they started unlocking or wanting to access increased functionality, it would slowly start to gamify the KYC experience where it would ask for certain pieces of information that it needed to be able to enable that user to then go do that thing. And um, I don't think actually most projects have have done this at scale yet, but many of the ones that we've worked with have. And I think that, for example, there's there's lots of things like that that um, we've been behind uh, and uh, and are continuing to kind of work with people on, which is really exciting. I guess the the key thing here most recently that we've been working on with a lot of DeFi startups are social features, which we're really excited about um, making DeFi social. Uh, but still in a Web3 context. Now, I think your your original question was actually like, how do we then... And this is a separate one in my mind. How do we bring more Web2 users into Web3? And that's a super interesting question that we've also been working on with different projects. And I think that um, the, the, the question there is actually very different. It's very different than how to make uh, bring people into Web3 and make the Web3 onboarding experience better. The question about how to bring more users into Web3 is a very different one. And um, my opinion of that is is twofold. Um, Number one, we have to connect into Web2 communities that already exist. So um, uh, what that means is there are already very rich communities on Reddit, on YouTube, on TikTok, on Instagram, on Twitter, on um, you know, in Discord, in Telegram, and all these um, platforms like Substack, all these platforms that have existed in Web2 for, for a very long time. What we need to do is start to um, connect Web3 to those uh, communities um, and bring them into Web3. But the way we do that is not going to be like, hey, buy some Bitcoin or buy some Ethereum or buy some whatever and use my, my DeFi app. It actually has to be native to those Web2 communities. And it has to connect to what those Web2 communities are trying to do and accomplish within that Web2 context. And so that's where actually like some of the stuff around personal and social tokens, I think has an opportunity to do is not push them or shill them a DeFi app and try to get them to like, make a bunch of money and, and get rich quick. That's not what those people care about. But natively slip into these Web2 experiences and turbocharge what is already happening in these Web2 environments. Like if you're going on to Twitch or you're going on to Discord and you're playing games with your, your friends or your fans, right? Like what is it they want to do? Well, they want to increase their engagement. They want to find new ways to connect with one another. They want to find ways to reward their community and incent their community to have certain roles and participate and engage in certain ways. That is perfect for things like social and, and personal tokens. Um, and so if people in the Web3 community can start to think like Web2 and actually think from, in our opinion, a user-centric perspective and design Web3 applications for those end users in ways that's not like, hey, here's just a cool technology, use it. But actually like, no, here's a, a thing. It, it happens to be crypto on the back end that can help you advance what you already love and want to do. That's going to bring those Web2 communities into Web3. 
um, without them even knowing it. The second thing, um, as as a sub part part of this, is that I think that we can create new native web three experiences that are totally new to the world. And these ones are really hard to find, actually, and hard to imagine because it requires a lot of creativity and imagination. But um, what that means is we believe, and I believe very, very strongly, that Web3 is like a new technology. It's, it's like mobile. It's like the internet. And what did the internet and mobile do? It enabled totally new user experiences that couldn't have possibly been imagined before that enabling technology came out. So for example, TikTok and Instagram and Twitter and these things, they seem very obvious today, right? It's like, duh, like, of course, that those things exist. But if you had asked someone like 10 years ago to try to envision that TikTok would have existed or Instagram would have existed, they would have thought that's insane. Um, this idea of people like putting their own personal photos into the public to like, you know, blog about themselves and like show themselves like, you know, um, living in cool places, wearing cool things and and eating cool things. Like that's ridiculous. Like that's not going to exist. So what I mean by that is, is this, when people think of web three in a, in like these areas of social media, I think that they're thinking about it the wrong way. When you think about it in that historical context, they're thinking about, okay, how can we make a TikTok clone that is tokenized? How can we make a Facebook that is tokenized? That's not what I'm talking about. That's not what's going to change the world or bring um, Web2 people into Web3 social applications. When you want to design a Web3 application for Web2 users, you have to think of something that does not exist. It's going to be a social application or a social network that does not look anything like a Web2 social network or social app. So what does that look like? Well, I don't know, because there's no good examples of that. (laughs) You literally can't benchmark it off of anything that exists today. So, So what could that look like? Well, let's take something that looks ridiculous right now. Personal tokens. To most people, like a year and a half ago, when we started looking at it and I started looking at it deeply, that thing looked dumb. And a lot of people still think it looks dumb. Because why does it look dumb? Well, because it doesn't exist. (laughs) And like, there's no basis for it. Like people issuing tokens of themselves, that's stupid. Why would anyone do that? Like no one's doing that today. That is a perfect example of something that I believe it may not be the, the end state. Like when MySpace came out, right? That thing's no longer around. Like Facebook's around, TikTok's around, Instagram's around. So personal tokens might be MySpace, but I guarantee you what personal tokens and whatever the heck it's pointing to, that thing is a really, really big thing. And that thing doesn't look like Facebook. It doesn't look like TikTok. It is something that is totally new. And whatever that thing is, whatever those things are, they are coming in the next one to two years. And that's why we are going to be... And we are already investing in some of these things right now. And we are actively trying to shape and design and build this stuff and get it into the world. And I'm I'm super excited about it because when you introduce a new user experience, it's kind of like in the same way when I opened the iPhone for the first time in 2007, and I was using the BlackBerry and I was an ardent BlackBerry user. I was like, 
blackberries are the best. Like, why would I use this weird thing that I swipe with like my finger? That looks so weird. When I opened the iPhone for the first time, I was like, oh my God, I just entered the future and I would have been living in the past for the last like four years. And I'm never going to go back to the past. That's what happens when you introduce a new user experience. And those are the kinds of things that I'm really excited about. I mean, we're, we see that in DeFi sort of, but I think like in these next areas that now DeFi is going to unlock, that's going to be the stuff that where people 10, 20, 30, 40, 100 years from now, people are going to go like, that was obvious. Like, why didn't people think of that from the very beginning? Well, because we can't see it. And, but, but in, in history, people are going to look back on that and go like, that was obvious. Like that was, that was obvious. Like, and, and duh. And now that thing is worth a trillion dollars. So anyway, that was a long way of saying like, I'm very excited, uh, but we need to think about these things in the right ways. No, definitely. I totally resonate with your thoughts. And thank you so much for, for sharing those. So what do you think about the current state of play um, of NFTs or uh, kind of like gaming experiences? Do you think we are heading in the right direction? Um, we are uh, in in some areas. I mean, it's kind of like everything in crypto. There's like um, 90% of it is is experimental and, and you know, a lot of that won't work. Uh, some of it will. Uh, and then there's about 10% of it that I think is kind of, you know, really on the mark and has, has is gotten product market fit or is, you know, on the way to getting product market fit. I think in the NFT and, and gaming space, um, I'm a little bit uh, less bullish on it. Um, we've actually been deeply involved in NFTs since the very beginning. We helped, uh, we collaborated with like Decentraland and a bunch of others back in 2017 to create the or shape the ERC 721 standard. Um, you know, IDEO's like, uh, it has a game studio that works with like Nintendo and PlayStation. And it's been building all these things over the past 30 years. And so we love games. And so we were so excited about NFTs and games back then. Um, but what we what we learned was was pretty interesting, like um, that NFTs and games in a blockchain world are not going to look. It's it's the same thing. Are not going to look like games and and applications of non fungible things in the traditional world. So, I guess this is me. I, I don't think this necessarily is representative of our entire team. But for me personally, even as a former artist. I'm actually somewhat bearish on most of the things happening in NFTs and gaming at the moment um, for the main reason that I think that um, a lot of it is not looking at it the right way. I wrote this article fairly recently in The Defiant um, uh, and, and it's called NFT should be designed as experiences, not products. And the main thesis of it, which is you know uh, my, my entire thesis on, on NFTs and games um, is that NFT should be designed um, to unlock new, new user experiences, not to tokenize just things that exist in our world. Um, and, and just kind of like say, here's, here's a piece of thing. Here's an NFT of a thing, right? Because that's, that's not new. Um, and, and in some ways, like for example, like I, I, I ascribe a lot of some of the stuff in NFTs that are happening, which is cool. It's experimental. But like, it's kind of like what happened with the STO world, if you remember that a number of years ago, security token offerings, where everyone was like, when we bring like real estate and um, you know uh, real world assets onto the blockchain, that's going to change the world. And don't get me wrong, 
that is absolutely going to happen. In fact, like Terra's announcement yesterday of Apple shares onto that, like, is you know um, an example of of that happening and continuing to happen. It's going to continue to happen. Like art coming on to the blockchain via NFTs, absolutely going to happen. But here's the problem: is that um, two years ago or three years ago, STOs kind of lost favor. Um, and why did that happen? Because DeFi didn't exist. And why does DeFi matter in an STO world? Like, why does it matter that STOs kind of died off three years ago? Um, but Terra Money, uh, Terra's announcement of bringing Apple and Tesla shares into Ethereum um, yesterday was such a big deal because DeFi is there. Why does DeFi matter? Because DeFi is an experience. DeFi is enabling user experiences, the ability to lend, borrow, leverage, trade, all this stuff. And so now that those experiences are are available, bringing on these assets from the real world, you can now do stuff with it and experience things with it, right? And so in a very similar way with NFTs and gaming, I think that we need to focus more on building the experiences before bringing real world assets via NFTs onto the blockchain. Um, so like artwork, um, okay, focus on the experiences. Like what can you do with that art? Right now, not a lot, unfortunately. And I think that that's where people need to focus because when we do that, and DeFi, by the way, like could do that. Like maybe you can take the artwork and then like, you know, get a, take a loan out of it and all that stuff. Okay, that's kind of interesting, but we need more. And when that more comes online, then the bringing on of artwork and all this other stuff via NFTs and you know game assets and stuff like that via NFTs, then that makes a ton more sense. But right now, I think it's too focused on the tech, too focused on the assets. It needs to focus more on the experiences. Sure. And I think in the past couple of months as well, we've been noticing quite a big boom in the NFT ecosystem. And so with that said, have you noticed an influx of projects uh, particularly based around NFTs and gaming approach you? Yeah, I mean, I, I think some of the things that um, I'm talking about here are um, things like uh, social media and social network kind of stuff where um, NFTs are an enabler to those social experiences through things like badges, which a lot of even DeFi projects we're working with on um, to start to build social experiences into their um, DeFi applications, as an example. Um, another kind of category, I think, are things like Zora and Foundation. Um, big, big fans of those guys, um, friends with both uh, Jacob and, and Kayvon, uh, love what they're doing. Um, and when you think about what they're doing, they are not building an NFT platform. They are building um, social commerce uh, platforms and experiences um, that connect, you know, buyers and, and fans to creators of of things uh, and content. And it just so happens that some of those things underneath are NFTs um, and powered by it. But that's not the thing. Like the thing is the higher order experience. And so that's an example of what I'm talking about. And and I really hope that more, um, you know, projects uh, and and founders approach it from that lens, which is don't think about the tech. It's kind of like, you know, when we were told years ago, starting IDEO Collab, that like, it's dumb to focus on infrastructure. Like, why are you focusing on apps? Same thing. 
don't focus on the infrastructure, i.e. NFTs and the assets, focus on the apps, focus on the experiences, focus on what end users are actually trying to do, you know, and, and that's where you create value. I completely agree. So we're just nearing the end of the podcast and Idea Collab recently raised $21 million for your crypto fund. What is the main focus? What are you looking for? And are there any last tips for anyone looking to start a crypto startup? Yeah. Um, so yeah, we, we raised our first fund. Um, it was a homage to Bitcoin. Um, we raised a $21 million fund. I'm actually surprised a lot of people didn't pick that up. <laughs> maybe, maybe in Ethereum. I, I don't know, actually. I'm not sure why that. Um, but anyway, it was an homage to Bitcoin. We're actually um, starting to uh, talk with folks about our second fund, which is really exciting. It will just be an extension and scaling of, of what we're already doing um, to basically you know, invest in great early stage founders and teams and incubate them as we have been for the last you know, two and, and more years. Um, as far as like tips to founders, like, you know, this is one of the things I love as compared to other areas of technology and and um, startups that I've been involved in in my career, which is that the crypto community is is super open and collaborative and generous, um, you know, and and very fluid. Um, that's not like the enterprise SaaS world or the traditional fintech world or the AI, uh, uh, you know, um, world. Like it, it, they're very difficult to penetrate. Um, and while crypto can be somewhat intimidating, and I, I do think this is a totally separate conversation, but you know, we feel very passionately that the crypto community needs to be more diverse and more um, accessible to all types of people, gender, ethnic, um, but also other types of backgrounds. Like it, it is an open community. And so what I would say to folks, um, both experienced and new, is just get involved. Um, don't, you know, um, passively read articles, um, which are often like, uh, you know, months old in terms of insights, get into the source of things like connect with founders directly or connect with engineers or builders directly, connect with us directly, just start talking to people, start contributing, start imagining things. Don't worry if your, your idea sucks, like just put it on paper and get some feedback and use it as a way to form relationships not and, and don't get over obsessed about being perfect or right because like like me when i was 5 years ago i was super intimidated but like just by being out there and being in the space and and starting from this place of like i want to learn i'm just really excited to learn more you're going to start to form relationships in ways that you can't do in any other industry and the accumulation of that over time, if you can stick with it, is amazing. Whether you're a new person or you're an old person, like even if you if you're super smart and you have you think you have the best you know the best things in sliced bread, share that with other people because I guarantee you, and I've done this with other startups, um, you know, over the last five years, I guarantee you, you're going to learn new things that you didn't know about before, and by doing so, it's going to make your thing better. And you're going to find new connections and new people to collaborate with, uh, which is going to be really important when you eventually launch your thing. Because you know this thing, these things are community technologies, and they want um, to be built uh, in partnership with other people. So uh, just just collaborate, um, collaborate, collaborate, collaborate. Absolutely, that's why I love the space so much. So the best advice to get started is to build, learn, and work with others. Yeah, our our motto at IDEO is don't get ready, get started.
I couldn't agree anymore. This is why I love the space so much. So the best learning experience is basically to get started, build and learn and work with others. Yeah. So, I mean, just find us on Twitter. Uh, that is the place where everyone goes in, in crypto. So uh, our handle is IDOBC and reach out to us. We, we always want to hear from uh, great people and find ways to work with them. So thank you again for having me on this. And um, I'm just really grateful to uh, be connected with you and, and have the opportunity to chat with you today. It's been fantastic. Thanks so much, Ian. Thank you.